Hello and welcome to this season's second instalment of the Analytics FC podcast. I'm Jeremy Steele and I'm joined as always by the infamous Messi Seconds, Joel Salomon. Uh, <laughs> it's good to be here. Uh, Bobby Gardner, uh, unfortunately, is not with us today, but instead we're joined by a fantastic guest in the form of tactical guru and coach at Red Bull Salzburg, Rene Marich. Hello. Rene, welcome. Um, and for those who don't know you, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, yeah. So, my name is um, writer at Spielverlagerung. German tactics blog, which expanded the last years into the English blogosphere. And I'm also doing coaching at Rebel Salzburg in the academy and did some analytical opposition analysts for various clubs in Europe. Okay, great. Um, could you give us a little bit of an insight then into, um, into what you're doing now, though? Um, so, I mean, obviously, um, Red Bull Salzburg, people may or may not know the story, so it'd be good to, to give a little bit of a background on the club and then, um, and then let us know a little bit about, about what you're doing now, what your role is and, um, and what you do kind of day to day. Yeah, um, since June, I'm at Red Bull. I'm an assistant coach at the under-18 who are playing at the under 18s National League. Also, I'm assistant coach of the Youth League team, which will be playing starting from next week on. First game is against Vardas Skopje from Macedonia. And I'm qualitative analyst for the whole academy. So th- these are my roles I have at Rebel. Okay, okay, cool. So you're mixing both the, the on-field coaching with the, with the analysis. Um, how, how does that work? How do you, how do you interact with the, um, with, the, with the coaching staff? Are you on pitch with them, or is it just uh, more kind of um, reporting to them in terms of you know uh, either on screen or, or, or with paper reports? Um, at Rebol, every coach is by definition also an analyst at, uh, in terms of his own team. So the teams get from the video analysts the videos and some data, and every coach watches his teams and uses the video for presentations. So I'm a regular coach. More or less, I'm always on the pitch. We were just planning training together, me and Marco, who's my head coach. And yeah, the coaching staff is uh, the two of us. Goalkeeping coach, a fantastic conditioning coach, and physiotherapist. Yeah, that's that's the stuff we have for the under-18s. Okay, cool. Um, so, I mean, look, the first question really, we wanted to delve into, into your your beliefs in terms of football and, and how, how your um, philosophy has been been developed. And um, I think you can obviously answer this from, from either your point of view or from, you know, being a Red Bull Salzburg coach. Um, can you give us a brief outline as to your sort of playing philosophy? And, and then with that in mind, how, how do you measure the effectiveness of that playing philosophy on the pitch? So, so you know, kind of two-pronged question really. But um, I think some of the listeners will be interested in, number one, how how you play how your teams play how Salzburg play obviously you can answer that how you how you like um and then how how do you measure that on the pitch how do you how do you know your teams have have uh, delivered what you what you expect from them um my personal philosophy it's it's very hard to describe um martin from the side who's working with me at spielverlagung he we coined it organic football because um yeah, it might be sounding strange from a tactical analyst for some but um, I'm very focused on the players I'm very focused on player development of understanding um, and coaching the players and obviously them understanding the game of football regardless of style 
So it's very important for me to develop players to understand in a given moment, in a given situation, how ideally to react to the situation. And there is no specific style I'm a, um, a big fan of because uh, uh, when I was coaching amateurs, I was coaching adults the last two years, and we were playing a very, very possession-focused style. Okay. We had probably games, a few games with more than 85% possession, very extreme at times because on amateur level, um, it's also even better to, to tire the opponent very fast and to keep yourself in shape. So that, that was uh, one of the main reasons to do it, uh, additionally to the players and their strengths and weaknesses. Now at Dribble, it's different. The core of our philosophy is the pressing and the transition game. So we had games where we played really, really good, but we had maybe 38 or 42 percent possession. Uh, although obviously, as you know, possession is uh, is not the best predictor to if you're playing good or bad football. So yeah. in, in our in the measuring of our effectiveness, we do use it in some ways, in specific ways. I can't talk about the exact ways because it's obviously a rebel secret. But if you you know the packing? Yep, yep. Okay, we have uh, some kind of own version of packing already developed at the club. We develop things because we have tracking data from uh, the own club and using LPM systems and not GPS systems. So it's very good to, to make your own metrics and we're doing that, we're developing that. That's part of my... Uh, of my job role, of my job outline, because as a qualitative analyst, I'm not bound to the under-18s, I'm bound to the whole academy. And it's just uh, three of us who are doing this at the academy. Okay. Like, that's, inter- that's interesting you say that. So obviously... <laughs> you're, you're God, d- Bobby's not on. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> obviously, for those who don't know, but, uh, Bobby wrote an article um, about the, the, the packing metrics saying how potentially there are other metrics that could basically come up with the same result. But I mean... It's uh, from a from a coaching point of view, the idea of measuring essentially what breaking lines, receiving in between lines, receiving in um, in different spaces on the pitch. Is that is that basically where you're going with those metrics? Um, yes, but also stuff which is very focused on individual players, on their ability, ability and how they can coach. Uh, for instance, one project we are working on is basically focusing on. Is the player available to do specific actions in specific moments and how fast does he get into the situations and how well does he do it? It's one of uh, the projects we're currently working on. As you can see, I cannot give more detail, on, but uh, that's the general idea of what we're doing and what we're trying to make out of the tracking data. Okay, great. I mean, yeah, of course, we're not expecting you to give away kind of trade secrets with with Salzburg. I mean, I'd be interested to know from from that point of view, obviously with the data not being uh, readily available to compare against other clubs, how do you, how do you benchmark your under-18s then? So if you've got players who are, um, let, let's let's use the, the packing metric as an example. So let's say there's a player who's receiving in between the lines uh, uh, what you believe is a, is a high, uh, high number of times. How how do you benchmark that against against other teams' players, or or, or do you do you not bother? Is it is it not important to you? Um, when clubs are playing against us, we often ask them if they are ready to uh, use the systems also, so they get the system from us and can use it. So we get uh, data from them too. Also, we can 
uh, look over the years because it's an academy. We can look how does the under 15, under 16, under 18 fare, fare and how do they fare compared to the years before. And obviously over the years, over the teams, also over the training. So we also can create uh, test games with our players in the academy. We can measure tracking data and we can compare it over the years, how it develops for individual players, but also how, how the teams just fare within that and if they had success or not. Tracking data in training? Yes, every training or nearly every training is getting tracked and filled. Can I, uh, this might be probing trade secrets, um, but can I ask how you're using training data in any way that's different from how you might use it in games? Our conditioning coach, Eibenberger, uh, I think I mentioned him on Twitter already. Yeah. He uses it to create an algorithm for the players, how they're... Um, getting fatigued in training and over the weeks. So to, to, for injury prevention is very important. And we also use it to look at specific, um, how do you call? Team setups? Um, no, different training loads and different loads we put on specific players in the training in different yeah. drills. So we can even sometimes deduce by the physical tracking data some tactical things for individual players but also the physical stuff, and then we can use this for coaching. So it's a little bit different than a game because we can change the design of the session and the design of the load and look at how it changes in the which points. Okay. Well, that's really interesting. I think, I mean, that, that kind of takes us into, into the next next question that we, we wanted to ask you, really, which was, I mean, I watched your, your presentation online um, on YouTube from the Inspire event that you're at and you're outlining your, your coaching philosophy and your methods um, within sessions, you know, how, how you want to work with the players and, um, and what outcomes you want to get from your training sessions. Um, and, and again, I was wondering whether, I mean, it's interesting you say that all the, all the sessions are, are filmed. That it, do you use that for, your, for yourself to measure the effectiveness of, of your coaching sessions, the, the outcomes that you get from the players? Is that something you do? Um, yes, we are in constant discourse with the players, with the other coaching members, but also we are uh, looking at the training not only to deduce how the players fared in training, but also how we did in training. And you can look at every training. We, we were able to look into it and maybe look if we should have changed some aspects of the drill, maybe some rules or maybe just uh, field dimensions and to create a better uh, coaching effect on the players. Okay. Is it is there anything that you do in terms of uh, looking at coaching behaviors? I mean, there's a there's a few systems that I've seen in place. I know that uh, the Double Pass, a Belgian company, use a use a system to uh, to analyze coaching behaviors, the interaction between the coach and the and the players. I know that the uh, there's Chris Cushion at Loughborough has been developing a uh, a system as well, and I know the FA do a lot in terms of the the, the coach education system about looking into you know ball rolling time and you know, which methods of coaching are used with the players more often than, than others? Is there anything like that where you assess your own coaching behaviors? Yes and no. I don't think it's as methodical as you just described. But some things, for instance, the ball rolling time, basically the net time of the training is automatically measured through the tracking data. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, interesting. Interesting. So, I mean, in terms of, um, you know, the, there's, a, there's a lot of talk, um, you know, probably probably rightly on how to integrate 
quite in-depth analysis, data, tactics, theory into into that on-pitch stuff. Um, how do you see that developing going forward? I mean, obviously, you've mentioned the, the tracking data, which is really interesting, you, using that even at academy level. Um, that's that's obviously something that's, that that's, uh, um, a few years ago people would have been, you know, surprised by that kind of integration of, of analysis um what, what do you think is the next step Where, where's where's that going in terms of um in terms of on-pitch on training uh just specifically specifically for the training well and matches and matches yeah okay obviously um if i don't think the on-ball data the event data from opta is uh, you, i think you can do even more with with that so it, yeah, i don't think that with tracking data they become obsolete. Uh, that's just the first point because I think there's still uh, things to get out of that. But obviously, if you get tracking data, there's a ton of things you can do. And I think it would be very interesting to measure tactical behavior and also technical quality in the matches, compare it to training sessions, and then deduce which coaching effects you can uh, change which you can create for the players, which are important to create, but also how the players fare compared to in training to the game. So maybe you can even deduce some psychological stuff based on that. But obviously, it's very important to uh, look what's important in the game and how well do we simulate it in the training and how well do we simulate it for individual player development. Are you looking at the tracking data yourself or do you have a dedicated data analyst at Red Bull? Um, there's a... Video analyst is getting the data out of the tracking data together with the company that provides the the system. Yeah. And then together with him and the conditioning coach, uh, we are able to look into the data in which regards we think it's important. Okay. So, th- so there was a there was an interesting um, conversation that I was not involved with on Twitter this week uh, about the uses of tactical analysis and data analysis and how they might come together. Uh, do you have any specific thoughts in your view about where each is appropriate, where uh, one part might be inappropriate, where they work together, where they don't work well together? I, I know it's very open, but... I think they, they work together well in everything and you can use it for everything. It just depends on how you use exactly. Some players are very, very open and very interested in their quantitative, qualitative data. And some are able to really talk about football in a very abstract and deep way and explicitly. And with others, it's less. So it really depends, as usual, on the players if you want to use it in coaching. And it depends on the resources you have, the human resources you have, yeah. and just the people who work there. So I think in general, data analysis and tactical analysis, there, there's no discrepancy between them. I think they belong together. But I mean, I mean in terms of uh, not what you're coaching to your players, but in terms of how you understand and how you analyze the game. Um, I think it's very important that uh, the coaches and the data analysts work very well together because the coaches have to uh, give feedback to the data analyst what they want to find out how it's possible to operationalize it and how to standardize it while the data analyst is looking at how to make it uh, valuable how to make it relevant how to visualize it and obviously how to give the feedback back to the coaches from what they exactly ask for and together develop more quality in terms of what you're measuring how you're measuring it so i think it's very important to have uh, coaching staff who's interacting with the data analysts so what what do you think from a data perspective um, is very interesting from a coaching perspective but isn't being done publicly right now? 
Uh, there's a taunt, for instance, um, how players is getting free, in which moment, in which positions, if they have individual player tendencies. I think this is a very, very important point that I rarely see in tactical analysis talked about, and I never saw so far really detailed talked about in uh, data analysis. Good answer. Okay. No, great. I mean, we. I had a really good conversation with a with an analyst at a club uh, last week about um, about where he saw that communication that you talked about. Do you see the future of uh, of data integrating with uh, with uh, with the coaching side? Do you see that coaches are going to have to become more familiar with with the way of reading data, the way of seeing um, statistics, or do you feel that it's up to the data guys and the the performance analysts at clubs to be able to communicate that better or do you see perhaps maybe the performance analyst guys being you know they're a member of the coaching staff they're they're in the change room they're on the bench with the with the coaches with the managers how do, how do you see that developing that relationship i think to some extent uh, coaches have to understand data and the data analysts have to understand football probably to a bigger extent um, but obviously the coach does not have to know statistics in depth or to program himself, but he should understood, understand the meaning of the stats and the data so he just can give feedback properly. Uh, but it's obviously the role of the data analyst to give the information to the coaching staff in a way they're able to use it efficiently and without being time-consuming, without being consuming in terms of they have to adapt to things which aren't part of their core business. Yeah. Whereas obviously the coaching staff still should be able to do the same for the data analysts in terms of football. They should be able to describe the football actions they want to be to be measured, to get measured in a way it's able to make an algorithm, a metric or whatever to measure it. So I think coaches have to be very clear in the language and be able to describe it simply, but also correctly to be able to work together with the data analyst. So it's, it's a responsibility of both. And is that just a matter of communication or uh, do you think data analysts should be going on coaching courses or, or how should they be learning about the game? What should they be learning about the game in order to, to communicate more effectively? Yeah. Coaching course is a good idea, but I think you can learn about the game in different ways too, just um, by being able to discuss things with the coaching staff and getting educated by the coaching staff, especially if it's a very competent or coaching staff. I think that is already uh, a big step if they're showing interest in it and also the coaching staff being interested in talking with them about football and then developing together uh, just a, a, a base they can use together about football. And obviously about data and the and the next step. Okay. So I think it's mainly communication and education through that. Okay. Um, we had a, uh, an interesting question from a, an ex Analytics FC member, uh, Tom Warville, on the uh, on Twitter. He wanted to wanted us to ask you um, if you put yourself in the shoes of a, a director of football. You're at a new club. Uh, you want to um, shape. The, the analysis department, the analytics department, what's the first change you'd implement within a, the tactical analysis department at a club? It depends what's, uh, what's there and what's not. Uh, interesting. Okay, all right. We'll give, you, we'll give you two different scenarios then. So you turn up at a Champions League club who have a big staff, lots of uh, resources, 
Uh, and then alternatively, at a small club with maybe one one analyst or two, maybe two, you know, one analyst full time, maybe a part time analyst helping out. Uh, so yeah, the, the first one. The so loads of resources. How, how would you how would you shape that analysis department? Um, if if I have a big club, I would obviously invest much more in research because you're able to do research because you have the human resource, you have the infrastructure. At a small club, I guess scouting would be. Uh, a very important point to invest in scouting. Also in scouting, really be able to suit and adapt to our team. Also tactical scouting of players and obviously um, opposition scouting would be very important at a small club versus in a big club I expect that to be there already. And then you have obviously the possibilities to get tracking data, to make uh, analysis of the trainings and obviously doing research. So I think this would be the difference between these two scenarios. It's interesting you say about the research and development. I uh, I was speaking with someone at the German FA. I'm not sure how much interaction you've had with them since since joining Salzburg. They've got the the research center at Cologne. Um, is there any way that clubs are able to tap into that, or do you have to do your own um, your own um, R and D? Um, there are always connections and interactions between uh, universities and clubs, not only Cologne, but for instance, our video analyst uh, he studied there. He worked for the Project 2006, I think it was called. Yeah. The video analysis team for the national team. He did a very good job uh, from what I gathered. And he's doing a great job at our club too. And through him, for instance, I was also able to get information on how they work, what they do. And obviously, clubs have connections to universities and get information about these things from them too. Obviously, you won't get all the information. You won't uh, get all the data they do. But you get to get general idea, and if you want to invest, you're able to do it and copy it for your own club. Be interested also to get your thoughts on, on an insight into uh, a Twitter discussion that we saw the other day. Um, two schools of thought. The first one was that there's very little edge to be had in terms of uh, coaching, in terms of improving the the standard of or the or the, the quality of the coach um, at first team level. So clubs should concentrate on recruiting the best players. And the second was that. The transfer fees these days have gone so high and skyrocketed for teams that they should invest more in uh, backroom staff, uh, their academies, uh, the coaching, where you know the costs really haven't risen that much. You can get more quality for your for your for your, for your dollar. Um, so I mean, essentially, so basically, staff and specialist coaches are, are undervalued in the current market. What's your what's your position on that? I, I assume as a coach, you probably take the second, but but perhaps not. Can you name and shame who was on each side? Uh, you could, it's public knowledge. It was back on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> go back and research. I think it was a conversation between, uh, between Marek and somebody else. I can't remember who the other person was, to be honest. I didn't make a note of it. Um, I'll take Marek's view. <laughs> right. I haven't read it, but. Okay. That's what so, I wanted to say, too. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. Fair enough. I mean, it, it was an interesting discussion. It went back and forth for quite a while. So I think there was a few people that jumped in with that. Uh, with their comments, it's a it's a very interesting idea for for me from my point of view. I I believe that right now there's a bigger difference than there ever has been between the best coach in the Premier League and the worst coach in the Premier League, and that that uh, advantage that you can get from having a better coach is the biggest it's ever been. The gaps there, I think. God, you can't just answer your own question, Jeremy. Oh, I know, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> but you guys aren't answering it. You're not jumping in. 
<laughs> you need to put yourself on the line. So you need to get off that fence. Rene, I'll give it to you. Go for it. Um, I don't think you can separate these two like that because there are some players who are you can really develop very well where the coaching is important and they, these players might be very expensive too. I guess if you have a really, really good coach for a huge talent who already cost a ton, he can develop to get uh, even more important, maybe being even a difference maker on the highest level. If you look at, at City, I think John Stones, he developed very fast already under Guardiola and he was already a, a very expensive player. So... I, I just don't think you can separate like that. Probably uh, coaches are undervalued and I think there's a ton of small gains you can uh, find which are not only in scouting, but obviously also in scouting you can find uh, tremendous players who in the right system with the right coaching are able to to make the difference if they get coached well. Yeah, yeah it is, I think, pretty clear that there are some coaches who causally raise the level that their players are playing at. Um, I'm I'm obviously a, a big big Guardiola believer, um, as as is the popular view, and and have been that way for a long long time, and think that his time at Bayern Munich was absolutely fantastic, and the, the idea that it was a failure is crazy to me. But still, how quickly John Stones went from looking pretty crap to like one of the best centre backs in the league. In well, I mean, in the first like four or five games, it doesn't mean anything. Um, but it is it is remarkable how much. Uh, coaching, particularly defensive coaching, can do to make players look better or worse in different systems. Yeah, I would, I, I, I would agree with that, and I think if you look at Guardiola's impact on on teams, it's been it's been the same everywhere he's been. There's a, yeah, I mean, right now, Clichy, Kolarov, and Sanya look like world class like build up players. It's crazy. Is, it, is what he's doing, Rene? Is what is that type of coaching? Um, is that is that something that other coaches can can emulate? Because they 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 haven't so far. Oh, sorry, that that's not true. There are a number of coaches that that have, but it's not it's not across the board. A lot of coaches haven't. A lot of clubs haven't changed their philosophy to move in that direction. And I, I get the impression that potentially it's because it's not understood. The work that he's doing is not understood by other coaches or other clubs, and they've decided not to go that way, and they go for an easier, an easier style of play or an easier style to implement with their teams. Do, do you get that feeling or not? Um, I'm not sure if they're consciously decided against it or just they uh, think it's not possible with the players and the coaches they have to do this because um, it's not only a matter of yeah, just develop the player and the team. It's 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 a hard job to be a good coach, develop players who are already on a high level, and to develop teams that are already on a high level. So it it might be more an execution problem than a problem in terms of decision making. Okay. Okay. Interesting. I mean, I mean, a, a few a few of these these uh, the new kind of um, tactical um, ideas. I mean, we, we mentioned it before about about the, the the mixture between the kind of tactical theory stuff and, and the data. Um, it'd be really interesting to get your view on, I mean, we've been introduced through yourself and through um, some of the other tactical writers online into, uh, you know, Tiki Taka, the false nine, uh, Juego de Posicion, Gagan Pressing, Zone 14, the half spaces. Uh, I read a really good thing, uh, a really good article the other day by Judah Davis on, on uh, um, uh, Blindside, um, coaching the blind side, both in in 
offense and 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 defense um which was really interesting uh, i mean they're all really great developments in terms of tactical analysis um what's the next tactical innovation what 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 should we expect next what, what's the future of that kind of tactical theory um who knows <laughs> it's, it's, it's very hard to to predict something which isn't uh, yet invented i probably think that teams will start to use the goalkeeper even more in build-up Okay. I think positional changes might become more of a thing again. Also, I think the teams uh, might start to play with, with more lines. So instead of a 4-4-2, like Schmidt does with a 4-2-2-2, and because the players are physically more capable of covering more distance and playing with more tempo, more intensity. So these might be things, maybe a different style of building up, more asymmetrical shapes in build-up and in defense. So I think uh, these might be the things which will be developed next in terms of tactical innovations. Okay, great. Um, one final question, just because we, we missed it earlier, and I think it's quite, quite an interesting one from, from Ryan Bahia here at Opta. He wanted to know what your thoughts were on crossing specifically. So we talked about your philosophy and how it was, you, you're, you're very flexible in terms of what, what, you, what you teach the, the players. You're not too stuck in a certain style of play. Um, but there are certain elements that, especially within the data uh, or analytics community, where people say, no, that's an inefficient way of attacking or that's an inefficient way of playing, um, crossing being the, you know, one, of the, one of the biggest ones. Is that something that you, that you take into account within your philosophy or are you, you know, open to, to that? So, yeah, specifically with crossing, but also with some of the other areas that, that kind of the analytics community say, no, that shouldn't be, you know, that clubs, uh, teams should look to stay away from that aspect. I think the Red Bulls already six years ago or so, or even, maybe even longer, crossing is a is a no-go. There are just some specific crosses that are allowed. Okay. Uh, I think if you play against a team of uh, very small players and you have a great crosser and a great center forward with a great heading ability, uh, it, it might be a way to go for specific games. But in general... I'm not a big fan of crossing because I don't think it's efficient. But obviously, there are different uh, types of crosses. Some can be efficient. In some situations, the effects it creates, the consequences for the opponent or for the consecutive actions can also be um, yeah, helpful. So as a coach, you have to keep this in mind and maybe uh, deduce rules, which type of crosses you want to see in which situations, and then use it for specific opponents or in specific game situations. So I think um, I'm not that rigid but i really dislike a specific type of crosses like the long high crosses from the sides in a very advanced part of the field so these are things i would not coach my players to okay got it so, I mean, it's so nice to hear a coach say that um, <laughs> I, I think i think you're completely right that there are different types of crosses that work and don't work uh, i was speaking to ben torvaney ex-analytics fc as well uh, about this recently talking about how when we when we see that crosses have such a low success rate it's because we're banging in a ton of crosses into one pot and then just saying that generally they really don't work out whereas in reality it seems pretty plausible that free headers are a very 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 big uh, scoring opportunity. Um, I was watching some Adi Hutter uh, young boys recently, not just hipster, but on the on the recommendation of Ted, uh, whose teams always, or whose teams, young boys, um, always seem to find a free header in the area. I I think it's because they're they're counterattacking so quickly because they're moving so quickly. I don't really know how it um, how it manifests, how it comes about. Uh, 
but I, I, I'm slightly, I'm a tiny bit skeptical of the idea that crossing is always rubbish. Um, but at the same time, that is that is kind of the side of the debate which I think makes most sense. So, I mean, similarly, similarly, Rene, how, how a great example is is someone like Andros Townsend or, or Coutinho who consistently get battered on Twitter for uh, for taking the decision to shoot from distance. Is that something as well that you that you would coach your your players not to do? And if so, how? How do you change their decision making? How do you get them to take more efficient shots? What What's the process for a coach to do that? Yeah, it's something I also, like crosses, would in general not encourage to do. There are some situations where I think it's acceptable acceptable to do it. And in terms of coaching it, if you create games where there are specific rules in which zones and which situations they are allowed to score, you can implicitly force them to learn the more efficient uh, situations to score. For instance, um, what I did, I marked out two parts of the the box and a part outside of the box from which if they score from there, the goal will count for three goals and the other part will count two and one and then it will count for one. And outside of it, even if you score, it's uh, zero. So because of that, they will always try to get in the box, to get free in the box, get free in these specific zones to get a shot from there while still being able to decide for themselves if they're not able to find the best shooting position, they still get points if they shoot from still efficient zones and they can decide by themselves, but also the players are forced to move into these zones, to force to move into the box and forced to take up the best position possible, even if they're not on the ball. So this is a, a type of drill I used to, to do this for my players. Because of my amateurs team at the first year, we had massive problems because of that. Now, that's really interesting. I think there's a lot of, I mean, there are a lot of coaches that, that, that listen into the to the podcast, and sometimes the feedback that, that that I receive potentially is that some of the some of the, the the work that goes on within within analytics and and even within the tactical theory is is potentially not applicable on the pitch. Um, I mean, is that is that something you've that you've looked to do consciously? Is that you know taking on board? that kind of, of data and saying, look, how can I how can I change the way my players play to make them more efficient? Um, obviously if I find something that's that's interesting for me from the data for the tactical theory, I try to deduce uh, why is it like that, which are the situations where I see it and can uh, understand how it happens. And then obviously from that point on I try to find out What's the better solution and how can we come to the better solution by? And that's then uh, a way of thinking, which is the start for creating a training drill for them. Oh, great. Oh, really interesting. Really interesting insight. Um, that's, that, I mean, that's all the questions that, we've, uh, that we've got lined up for you, René. Um, and, uh, and you really, really appreciate your, your time coming on, uh, coming on the show because, I mean, like I say, this is – it's really interesting to have a coach come on board who knows the knows the data as well. So hopefully there have been some really really good insights for uh, for our view, for our listeners. Uh, Joel, not just coming on, but coming on twice. Uh, <laughs> you, people who are who are listening in now won't know, but um, we we had a technological cock up <laughs> the first time round. So this is the uh, the the second attempt. Yeah, I, I mean I I completely echo that. Um, I think when I am looking at tactics people on Twitter, uh, Rene stands out for me as if I were to pick one person who 
uh, not just understands, that's quite patronising, but um, who really engages with the fact that a lot of football is random and that the role, I think, of tactics is to deduce patterns which really exist and really matter to the game. And I, I think Rene does that consistently. Um, so thank you very much. Uh, Rene, do you want to plug yourself? No, it's fine. all right well you can follow rene at rene marich uh, and also on spielvelagerung on the uh, english and german websites which will be linked in the description below thank you very much for listening to this rendition of the analytics fc podcast for the next one we're going to have rory campbell the technical scout at west ham talking to him about all things premier league and transfers and then after that we have zarius desai uh, of first team analyst at brentford fame Talking to him, hopefully, a little bit about the inner workings of uh, Matthew Benham's sides, the use of analytics at first team and academy level, etc., etc. Um, so we look forward to seeing you then. Yeah.